Uh, this is the time in our church service where I answer the questions that you asked last week. Uh, the way that they were asked is through our convenient little tear-off slip. Here it goes. Oh, no, hang on, hang on. There we, there we go. You ask the questions and I answer them uh, on all sorts of different things. Some of the things that I talked about last week in church, some of the just random things you'd like to know about. And uh, the first question is this. How would an Israelite be protected in the Passover if they couldn't afford to sacrifice a lamb? This is a follow-up question from last week where I said that the Passover, the original event in the history of God's people, was where God said, listen, if you sacrifice a lamb and put blood on the doorposts, then the angel of death will pass over your house and then you will not have the firstborn child die and the firstborn anything die. And the question is, what if they couldn't afford it? Well, I wasn't able to find out a clear answer to this, but I did find out a few things that might give us some help. Uh, one is that it was acceptable to share a sacrifice with more than just one household. And so perhaps it could have been a, a whole little community had one lamb. Uh, the other thing is that in the future, there, was a, uh, <clears throat> there were different arrangements in the temple for a family that was poor who could actually sacrifice two pigeons or maybe even some grain as an offering if that was all they could afford. Uh, so it wouldn't have been enough to sacrifice the blood of a pigeon or a grain uh, that has blood but uh, at the Passover. But I think that that gives us a principle that, that God is not elitist when it comes to saying, I'm only going to let people rich enough to have a lamb to be saved. Uh, ultimately, it was God who saved and he saved by their faith. And so if they were able to get some blood from a lamb, then I take it that he would have passed over their house because it was on the basis of their faith, not on their works in that sense. Question two, what is the unforgivable sin? Uh, well, I think I might have answered this a few weeks ago, but in case you weren't here, uh, the unforgivable sin is what Jesus said was blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And what this means is that if you go through all of your life to your very last breath saying that I don't believe God's word, I don't believe what the Holy Spirit has said, that the Holy Spirit has not said to us what is true about God, then if you get to your very last breath and you're not friends with God, then you're not going to be friends with God when you die. And therefore that sin is unforgivable. Question three, does God give or does he allow sickness to happen to people? Well, I'm going to try and give a short answer to this. A few years ago, I gave a long answer to this. We looked at the book of Job over about 21 weeks. Uh, that's the long answer. <laughs> the, short, the, the short answer, uh, I, I think, is that, that we are tempted to say that God merely allows sickness to happen to people. But when we look in the scriptures, we see that God is more controlled than that in the world. Uh, you see, we, he's in control of absolutely everything, including the sicknesses that happen to people. Uh, as we look from the book of Job, we also see that God rules through the Satan. Um, he acts to bring about evil to people. And, and Satan is deliberately trying to bring down people. And God allows him to do that. But Satan is not out of God's control either. So there's never a situation that's out of God's control. And so we, I think that makes sense of our experiences as well. Uh, in the book of Job, we, we hear of his sufferings. Job says to his wife, Shall we receive good from God's hand, but not bad? And I think that's the, the kind of the message 
from the whole book of Job. The Lord gave, the Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now you might find that uncomfortable to think that God is active in, in bringing about that harm and so on. It's hard to get our heads around that. Um, but we need to see that God is active in the world or we won't pray to him. We will think, well, I hope, God, you're powerful enough to deal with this thing. Or isn't it just a fluke that because I got really sick and I had to move to a different suburb that this and that and this and that happened? Isn't it lucky, Lord, that you were able just to use that, that coincidence? Because God doesn't work that way. He is active in every single way. Now, we have sin in this world. It's from our own choice that the world's broken, that sickness comes. But in all of this, I think we, we can't say that God just sits back and says, oh, I hope nothing bad happens. He, he is in control of everything. And, and ultimately, that's really good news. Question four, why does God kill people in the Bible when he's supposed to be full of forgiveness and grace? Yeah, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of stuff like lots of people are dying in the book of Judges that we're looking at at the moment. And you might be thinking this is just a bit strange. Um, the bottom line is that God kills people in the Bible because he's angry with them. And he's angry with them because they have rejected his loving rule. He made them. And he expects us all, like, like a child in a family, to, to respect the parents. And yet most of the world has not. All of us deserve to be killed in this way. But this is why we understand the purpose of the cross. See, all of the anger that God had, that we see handed out in the time of the book of Judges, all of that anger is now placed upon Jesus. We all deserve to die at God's hand. But miraculously, full of mercy, that has now been passed over to Jesus and so now as the Passover lamb, the sin now passes over us and goes to him. And the anger of God goes to him. And so we see God having anger upon people because people deserve it. But now in this New Testament time, we can understand more of the fullness of his grace and his mercy. Uh, question five, if this is the first time here, you wonder why it's being asked. What is a latrine? Uh, <laughs> um, a latrine's a toilet. Um, it's a pit toilet, probably. Uh, you're asking why we are asking this question. It's because last week in the book of Judges, Ehud, after he killed Eglon, he escaped by going down the latrine. And uh, you probably don't want to think too much about what that would have been like. But he got out alive. Uh, but not in a great shape. Question six. Uh, since Catholics believe different things and pray to Mary, will they go to heaven? The Bible is very clear that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not like God's going to say, which church did you go to? Or you went to church A. Terrific. Oh, you went to church B. You're not coming in. That's not the way it works. A person is not saved by the church they do or don't go to. There are lots of people who go to churches that teach the truth about Jesus and yet they don't have a friendship with Jesus. There are people who go to great churches and yet end their life being enemies with God because they never listened and they never really obeyed the word. Likewise, there are people who go to churches that teach things about God and Jesus and the Bible that are just not true. And they get confused, these people, about all the stuff that they're learning and these weird traditions and stuff. They say, look, oh, I don't get all that stuff. I just pray to Jesus and I just read my Bible and I think I'm friends with Jesus. 
I think that will be the case of many Roman Catholics who don't pray to Mary. They think, why would I do that? I just pray to Jesus. And, and there's all this sort of spooky stuff that the priest does. And they say, well, look, at the end of the day, whatever, I'm just friends with Jesus because I read my Bible. And that is good news. But there are also many of people who are within the Roman Catholic Church and wholeheartedly believe the teachings. And they ultimately are hearing things taught about God that are not true. That is why 500 years ago we had the Reformation where there was a massive breakaway of those who said we've got to get back to the Bible and we've got to understand true grace and true mercy and we're not saved by works and we can have assurance of our salvation. And so ultimately we want to be seeing people know that truth and believe that truth. And so keep praying for your Roman Catholic friends uh, that they will know the truth if they don't already. And if they need to leave the Roman Catholic Church because of the teaching, that they find a church that gets to the Bible and says, this is the truth. Uh, finally, question seven. This is a little bit meta. Why do we have a question time? Um, <laughs> uh, there, some people do ask me this question. I, I actually think this might have been a person who'd only come for a short while and, and maybe a visitor or something like that, but I'm not sure. But uh, the reason we have a question time, uh, there are a couple of reasons. One is that the most theological reason is that the Bible talks about the need for us to test prophecies. Now, I think that when I'm preaching the word of God, I am involved in a prophetic ministry, a ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so as I am preaching God's word, I might get up here and say some stuff, either in the question time or in the sermon, and you think, really? Are you sure about that? Hang on, I, that just sort of jars with something else I've heard in the Bible or something I've known since I've grown up. And I want you to write down that question and say, are you sure? And I want you to be able to give that to me. And I'll go away and sometimes say, I think so. And, and there are times, if you've been here for a few years, you'll know, where I've been asked questions and gone, mm, actually, no, I think I got that wrong last week. And I've sort of fixed it up. So I want you to be able to ask those questions. A couple of other things. I, I think it's really good to be able to have short little one-minute talks on a bunch of different little things, like what is a latrine, uh, and, and to, to help you, you understand practical issues also. So when we've got stuff coming up like the debate over same-sex marriage, remember all of that last year, you were often asking questions back and forth, and that was a time for us to address some of those social issues as well. And finally, it helps me stay on my toes. Uh, you ask some questions that I go, oh man, I don't know, we know where to start. And so I'll do research and I'll think through things and you are helping me get extra homework. So thank you for that. Um, <laughs> but, it, but it is good. So keep asking your questions, write them down. Oh, hang on, that tore off. Uh, write it off and <laughs> get me the questions. I love to answer them and I look forward to more next week. <laughs>